Yeah, it is. Like I said, it's great. And one of the reasons why we are so glad to come back to Supporting Church is to really just talk about what the Lord has been doing uh, through your support and through our ministry there in the Yucatan. So if we can get that uh, that's that first slide up there. Uh, again, there's a picture of us, a little bit more up to date uh, for everyone. But I just want to go ahead and just talk about what the Lord has done uh, through your support and through his faithfulness in our ministry. You see, we've been had, had the opportunity to touch families of all ages and walks of life with seminars, with workshops and classes on family life, on communication, as well as discipleship. We've had the opportunity to train dozens of students in personal and corporate evangelism. The slide that's there up there is our church planning class. Each one of those students left with the church planning project. Many of those are are pastoring those churches as we speak. We had the opportunity as well to enter various communities, some for the very first time with the life giving message of the Bible. We've also had the opportunity through your support to be able to establish the very first church planning program in the district of Yucatan that has been specifically targeted at reaching the marginalized Maya speaking people that live there on the Yucatan Peninsula. We've also had the opportunity to partner with uh, ministries such as Teen Challenge and also Sustain Hope to introduce innovative methods and programs that are extending a compassionate hand toward those who are struggling with the circumstances of life. We've also had the opportunity to build from the ground up what will soon be the new home of the Bible Institute, Instituto Biblico Betel, their library, a classroom space, and also their cafeteria. You can see what it looked like as we arrived in 2010. We dug down deep to be able to pour the footers. Here are the columns that were going up, continuing on. We have some pastors who came down to help us build some of the side walls. Moving then to the following year, we were moving to the next level. Now you can see we're putting the roof uh, in place. Uh, no wood frame construction, no metal buildings there. We have hurricanes, so those would blow away. Uh, but this, we have to build them strong uh, there. And then you can see uh, we were closing this in just last year. Uh, we were able to close the building in. Uh, as I left in June of this year, as our family left, they presented me with this this shirt, this Guayavera. They were so excited to have been able to receive support from the United States, but they felt motivated to be able to finish the work then on their own. I got a chance to talk with Felipe Sabido, who's the Bible school director right now. They've been able to finish the lower part. It's been painted. They put in office spaces down there. They've got a room now for the faculty to be able to prepare their lessons. And now they're getting ready to finish up the um, the, the library, which is going to be on that second floor. So as we go back, my prayer is that within that, those first few months, we'll be able to start seeing some classes uh, in that building. So thanks so much for your support to be able to do that. We've also had the opportunity to overcome the barriers of language and illiteracy to introduce dozens to the Word of God through the use of the device that's there in the center of that screen, what's called the Proclaimer. I mentioned the Maya people. Although we speak Spanish there, that's the official language of Mexico, 58% of the people of Yucatan speak the, the, the Maya language, and many of those don't speak Spanish. So you imagine as they try to come near to the Word of God, they have that barrier to cross. Now, we do have the printed Maya Bible. You can see a copy of that out 
on our stand. But the problem is many of those people do not read the Maya language. They only speak it. So how do we cross that barrier? Uh, well, with this device, we've been able to do that. It's powerful enough for 300 people to be able to hear it without need of amplification, but it's also able to be used without any outside power source. You can hand crank it or use solar power. It's been a wonderful device to be able to help people open their eyes to the God that does speak their language. So it's been uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for all that you have been doing through us. Now we come to you then overwhelmingly grateful for what the Lord has done through you and through us in the Yucatan Peninsula. But you know what? We still long for so much more. You might ask, well, Dave, well, there's so much stuff going on. Why would you ask for more? Well, because we believe in all our heart that we serve a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or even imagine the Bible would go on to say. Now, I know that for us is a little bit difficult, right? Even the Bible would admit that. It's beyond what we could ask, beyond what we could imagine. I think in this day and age, it becomes even more difficult. And I think it's this way. It's because we serve a God who so often speaks in that still, small voice. And yet we live in a society that has this tendency to blast us at full volume. Now, I, I imagine it probably happens to you more here uh, in, in this area, in Chesterfield and St. Louis, than it does in Springfield. But even in Springfield, I'll be sitting there at the traffic light, Springfield, Missouri, at the traffic light, and, and, and all of a sudden, the ground will begin to shake around me. I'm thinking, oh, oh, it's that earthquake they've all you know talked about, but really it's not. It's just the base from the car next to me. <laughs> And, you know, we found, you know, as we have been, you know, tracking here in the United States, even in Mexico, that this isn't just an audio message that's blasting us in this day and age. It's also being broadcast in full HD, 1080p, and everything that's come before and everything that's coming after it. Now, we have to admit this message has been influential in the past, but never has it been so strong nor so unavoidable as it is in the present day. We ask ourselves the question, why is it? And I think it's because these voices and these images are surrounding us and they're becoming more and more a part of who we are and they're bending our perception of reality through their lenses. Now you might say, well, Dave, I, you know, I, I don't just, I'm not tracking with you. Maybe I need an example of what you're talking about. Well, I just want to give you a, a, a little bit of an example here on this screen. If you can make them out, anybody or make out that individual there on the screen? Who is that individual? Steve Jobs, right? This was a presentation he was doing in 2010. He was talking to a bunch of reporters who were covering technology in that day, introducing a brand new product. Now, he was saying at that time that everybody has a cell phone and everybody has a laptop computer. I was just wondering today, how many people have a cell phone? among us today? Wow. How many people have a computer? Maybe in their home, maybe you have to borrow it if you're a kid, but you've got a computer. And you know what? We're like the cutting edge of technology. I mean, a little bit five years late, maybe, but it's cutting edge of technology. And he was saying at that point, is there room for a device that can fit there in the middle? Anybody knew what that device was? It was the iPad in 2010, the iPad. And it's an amazing device. Now, how many people... I thought I saw uh, Doug was using an iPad earlier. You know, how many people have an, an iPad? Yeah, we've got quite a few people. You know, at that time, people didn't even know they wanted that device. <laughs> Do you know how many people now own or how many iPads have actually been sold since that time? 
over 200 million devices. Now, some people are thinking, how could I have lived without it? It's amazing. But you know, in that presentation, he was saying, is there room in the middle, something for a device that's not a cell phone, right? Because we have this tendency to put those cell phones away or silence them, especially on Sunday mornings when we're in church, right? Uh, or we have a tendency to walk away from those computers or power those down. It was almost as if he was saying, is there more of your attention that we can possibly grab? It's interesting, now they're marketing the, 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 the Apple Watch, right? It's as though they're trying to grab more and more of our attention. But you know what? I don't want to just pick up on, pick on the iPad. I, myself, am an iPad user. I'm preaching from an iPad this morning. But there's, there's something that happens with these devices. Even though they're so useful, what we have, what we do so often is that more and more we simply just consume what's being dished out from these devices. And there's a danger with this. That with increased connectivity and with these devices and these messages that we receive from them becoming more and more a part of who we are, we can lose our sense of discernment about the content that we're receiving from them. I think that surely, slowly but surely, if left unchecked, we can uh, descend into a state that was described by uh, this woman. Her name was Helen Keller. She's a deaf-blind author, and she had the opportunity to give an interview one time, and someone was asking her, Helen, what's worse than being blind? And she said this. She said, what's worse than being blind? Having sight, but no vision. Having sight, but no vision. You think, I, I think as a society, we have this tendency to see, but not perceive. We have this tendency to look, but not understand what it is that we're looking at. And so this morning, uh, as we gather around this 21st century problem, I would like to ask you as I ask myself, how's your vision this morning? How's your vision? You know, we, we come then kind of to a sobering thought, this problem that we have, and we wonder, where can we turn to help ourselves this morning? Well, would you believe that this 21st century problem has a first century solution? Would you believe me if I said that? All right, let's open our Bibles then to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I'm going to have that up on the screen. Uh, it's in the New International Version this morning. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you right now for this opportunity that we have to gather around your word. And we understand, O oh Lord God, as we have been spoken to this morning, that there is a need to lift our eyes. And so we pray, O oh Lord God, as we have intersected today with your will, with your spirit, we pray, God, that you would enable us to analyze our vision, to be able to understand what it is that you want to say and speak into our lives, and help us, O oh Lord God, to catch what it is that you have for us Help us to apply it, Lord God, and live it, we ask in your name. Amen. So we see right from the beginning as we look at the words of Paul to the Roman believers that this 21st century problem is really nothing new. 
You see, this conformity, this following a pattern that's been set by others, this being pressed into a mold that doesn't quite fit is as old as time itself. And Paul is exhorting us, along with those first century believers, to not be conformed. He goes on then to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Only then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And that's the idea of being able to determine or develop a proper sensitivity to the will of God and then be able to carry out that will of God. You see, it's basically this way. We're called to an ideal. We're called to be a part of something that's bigger than we are as individuals or even as we are as part of this church. But this increasing distractedness from God's call and from the type of life, this eternal life that he is giving to us results in a reality that is far less than we could potentially achieve on our own. Now, we might ask, what does this look like? I think this looks something like the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I want to catch us all up to speed on who was Jacob. You see, Jacob had this tremendous lineage there in the Old Testament. You see, he was one of the twin sons of Isaac, who was the promised son of Abraham, the friend of God. What a heritage. How many of us could claim that kind of lineage, right? But not only did he have a heritage, he had a tremendous potential in him. He was destined to be the father of the 12 men who would go on to form the 12 tribes of the ancient nation of Israel. And Israel was to be set apart as a kingdom of priests for all the nations of the world. They were to be God's go-betweens and God would present his word through them to the people and then they would present the people's needs then back to God. But you see, even though he had this heritage, even though he had this potential, Jacob had a problem. He had been given a label, a label in the form of his name. Now, maybe you've had the opportunity to study about the name of Jacob and what it means, and we can find out just by doing a little bit of a study, it can, can, can mean to follow or to be behind. But it can also mean this, to supplant, to circumvent, or to overreach can imagine what it might be like to have that kind of a name uh, during that time, him walking down the street. Hey, supplanter, come on over here. We need to talk to you. Or, or, or maybe as it's getting a little bit later, his mom calling him, hey, greedy, it's time for dinner. Come on in the house. Kind of difficult to live with a name. And, you know, his story kind of tracks in that same way. In chapter 25 of Genesis, we, we hear how he overreached the first time, tricking his brother into selling his birthright, which is basically the lion's share of the family inheritance for just a bowl of stew. As we continue on in chapter 27, we see his second ruse as he posed as his brother cutting in line then for the blessing that was intended for the second, for that firstborn. Through it all, what do we find? We find that he's living up to the name he'd been given, fulfilling the expectations that others had for him, but falling short of God's plan for his life. Esau, the injured party, gives his perspective in verse 36 of that chapter. He says, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And so we find Jacob now in chapter 28 running for his life, perhaps from his 
reputation, but most assuredly from the wrath of his older brother. But we also find him alone. And maybe for the first time in his life, able to turn his attention to the one whose direction he had up until this point been unable to receive. So we're going to go ahead and pick up the narrative now in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10. We're going to read 10 to the to the end of the chapter. It's not going to be up on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bible. And it reads this way. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gates of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, this is a lengthy portion of scripture, but allow me to make just three observations of what we can see, which is Jacob's encounter with his God. First thing we see is that there is a moment of realization in his life. In verse 16, he says, this, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. It was as though Jacob was going through his life as if in a fog, and God reaches over onto the dashboard and presses the defogger. You know, when everything's in a fog, you can't see things clearly, and all of a sudden, in that moment, He's able to see God as he truly was and life as it truly existed in that moment. But there wasn't just that moment of realization. There was also a moment of response. In verse 17, he says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You know, we go through life with one moment after another, with one strange event after another. I think Facebook is that way. You just kind of go through that feed looking for the strange event and something maybe then stranger. We don't even have an opportunity to comment anymore. You know, the like button sometimes gets just too tough to press because there's so much stuff that's going on. But we see Jacob taking a moment and responding to that moment of realization. Then he allows an opportunity for response. But it doesn't just end there. It goes on to allow God to do a transformation in his life. In the second half of verse 21, he says, The Lord then will be my God, and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Did you hear the transformation? It's right there, that last verse. Of all that you give me, I will give you 
a tenth. Now you might be saying, oh, well, you know, a tenth, I understand that a tenth corresponds to a tithe. And so Jacob learned to tithe there in his time with God. But you know what? If we just stay there with the tithe, although it's important, you know, we need to give of what the Lord gives to us. But what we see here is a transformation that happens. You see, Jacob was changed by the presence of God. He was finally made aware of the God who had desired to direct his life from the beginning. He had been able then in that moment to receive the promise that had been extended to him, and he was transformed by the experience. If we go back to Jacob and his, the meaning of his name, he was that greedy, he was that supplanter, he was the one that took all that he could get and all that his brother could get as well. But in that moment, that encounter with his God, he had determined to be content with only 90% of what the Lord would give him. Now, friends, if that's not transformation, I don't know what is. But you know what? Jacob's not the only example that we can find of transformation. Let me share just a few stories of transformation that we've experienced as well. I want you to meet Mario. And Mario was known as the outcast. That was the label that he had been given. He was the town drunk. He was notorious for his addictions and his wild lifestyle. He had been rejected in the process. He lost his job. He lost his family. He almost lost his life. That was his story. He was the outcast. He was the reject until one day he found acceptance in a church called Gethsemane. And now you can find him extending that acceptance to those who have been caught in the same addictions that once held him captive. This is a picture of him uh, with the men that he is serving in his rehab center in Celestun, Yucatan. Now, we've had the opportunity to walk alongside Mario since 2010. At that time, he was operating that rehab center on little more than a prayer. We have the opportunity to connect him in with Dwayne Henders, who is a, the largest man in that picture, and Teen Challenge, Global Teen Challenge. They're giving him the training and the resources he's, need, he's needing to make his ministry even more effective. But what do we see in Mari? We see transformation that's affected one individual that's now spilling over to affect an entire community. I'd like you to meet another story of transformation. His name is Efren. And Efren, he grew up trying to please what he thought was an angry God. You see, he served as an altar boy, as a youth. He grew up to be a faithful church attender. He then converted himself into what we would be called an antorchista. These are men and women that grab Olympic torches and they begin to run the roads of Mexico. Some of them 10 miles, 25 miles. Those who are running, they're riding bicycles. They're riding them 50 and 100 miles. They're doing this all to gain the attention of the Virgin of Guadalupe. And they think if she could only see, if she could only notice what it is that we're doing, maybe then she'll grant our request. But you know what they're finding as Efren found, that in all of their striving, in all of their good works, they're never good enough. That is until Efren found grace at a church called Osh, uh, Monte Sinai in Oshkushka. Since then, he has um, become a pastor of a small church in a town called Pisya in the south of Yucatan, but he has spent his life dispensing grace, going from town to town, village to village, projecting movies that speak of a God who we don't need to work 
to in order to get near to a God who has bridged the gap through his son, Jesus Christ, a God who has drawn near to his people. We had the opportunity to team up with him in 2012, and we introduced him to the Jesus Film Plan for Church Planting. Since that time, he took that movie, the Jesus film, and he went to a town called Ochil. Now, he didn't just project that movie. He's also planted a church in a place that had no gospel witness whatsoever. There's now a congregation of about 30 individuals meeting on a weekly basis. This is a picture of a service we had the opportunity to celebrate with them just a couple of years ago. Transformation, friends, that affects individuals, but that spills over not just to affect one community, but various communities. I want you to meet just one other person. Her name is Guadalupe, and Guadalupe had been given the name Unqualified. She'd been told by others that she wasn't ready to share her faith in Christ with other people. She came into my evangelism class. In fact, that's the book that we use in our class. It's uh, Evangelismo Dinamico is the, the title. It's translated dynamic evangelism, but she never would have considered herself a dynamic evangelist. She came to me full of excuses saying, you know what, I'm just not able to share my faith with people. And those were the excuses that she kept for about two weeks until she went out uh, with her classmates. I sent her out with a survey into a local city park. Now, this survey was not designed to get people to pray the sinner's prayer there on the street. It was designed basically to open their eyes to the need that's all around them, but also to open their eyes to the openness that people have to share these needs, to share about the needs that they have in their own lives. You know, for many of these students, it was the very first time they had the opportunity to have a meaningful conversation about spiritual things with the unsaved. Well, she went out with her excuses, and she came back with stories of victory. She came back into that classroom. She said, Brother Dave, not only have I talked with three people like you asked me, not only have I filled out the sheet, I have three separate appointments for Bible studies with these people. They want to know more about Jesus. She said, could I possibly take this survey to my own hometown and use it there? I said, absolutely. So she began to go door to door. She began to go house to house in a town called Koskaya, an hour outside of Merida. And she began to just talk to people about Jesus. She did that until her pastor reprimanded her. She said, you know what, you got to stop this. You're giving us too much work. You know, we can't keep up with all these Bible studies that you're, 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 you're forming. Uh, well, you know, you'd think that after a congregant would get a reprimand for her pastor, she would stop, but she didn't. She went on to a neighboring village, that of Sierra Papacal, in a place where others had tried and failed for 10 years. She's not just planted a church, she's pastoring a church called Casa de Oración. We had the opportunity to do a children's outreach. This is a picture of a children's outreach we did, coordinating with other students from Instituto Bíblico. But what do we see in these people? We see people who have been transformed. Their stories have been changed by the power of God. And then they have been able to work in step with him to see others being transformed. But we too, friends, have been transformed. This is how we looked as we went out in 2005. There we are with uh, a, a first grader and a couple of toddlers, and we had our own questions. We asked ourselves, what, it is, what is it that we have to offer to God and to the people on the mission field? At that point, we couldn't even speak the Spanish language. That's a picture of us in Costa Rica. But you know what we found out? That after two 
terms in Mexico, time and again, God has shown us that for him, there is nothing that's impossible. And as we constantly realize that he is present with us, as we respond to him, and as we allow him to continue that transformative work in our lives, we find that he is able to direct us to do his will and to invite others along in the process with us. So we're going back now 10 years later with a renewed vision, that of the Yucatan Peninsula full of churches, diverse in class, status, education, and language, but united in their love for the Lord and for one another. But you know what, friends? This, this isn't just about our family. This isn't just about the people that you're seeing on the screen. It's not just about a Bible story. It's about each and every one of us here in this room this morning. It talked about that God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask or even think. You know what? That is something that's according to the power, the Bible would go on to say, that is in each and every one of us, his people that are gathered together in his church. And I want to take a moment, if you would allow me, to just go back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 now and just consider the, the verses following. We're not going to spend too much time here, but I think this is a message that God would want to speak to each and every one, every one of us here in this place. We're going to turn then to Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. It says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just that each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know, I think that as we think about transformation, maybe we get wrong-headed sometime about transformation. You know, I grew up as a fan of the Transformers, the cartoon series, way back when. Anybody of that generation? Anybody have a Transformer here? Come on, you, you can admit it. Anybody? I'm the only one? All right, all right, all right, okay. You know, and I heard this for the first time. I was 15 years old. I had just gotten saved. I'm sure I had a, a, a model of jazz there on uh, uh, my dresser. It was a Porsche. I think it was a 911. And he converted from this awesome car into a robot. And so I could hear as my youth pastor talked about transformation, I could hear that noise that they made as they transformed. Remember? Boom. And that's the idea that I had about transformation. Now, maybe, maybe you're not a Transformers fan. Maybe you're an underdog fan. I was an underdog fan, too. I was at CBC at Central Bible College. I worked as a janitor. So I'd imagine myself being converted from that janitor into that, that superhuman, you know, that superhero to go and socket to those villains. But, you know, I think that's the wrong way that we think about transformation because instead of this individualized plan for spiritual perfection that we're expecting, Paul is presenting us in these verses with something that looks like a to-do list that has more to do with servanthood than with self-actualization, as the psychologists would say. And I was confused at first as I read these verses 
But you know what? I, I think that it's because God is calling us, yes, to a, a higher, a transformed life, but it's not a life in which we ride in and save the day and then ride off into the sunset. It's not so that we can be set apart on a pillar. No, it's a, it's, it's a life together. It's a life as members of the body of Christ, as ministers one to another. You're conformed into a worldly pattern, pressed into a bold that doesn't fit. We're not able to achieve it. But you know what? As we seek that transformation, as we've seen in Mario, as we've seen in Efren, as we've seen in Guadalupe, as we've seen in our own family, we see that God is able to do that work. And so we ask ourselves this morning, what's holding us back from God's plan, from encouraging, from serving, from teaching, from giving, from leading? Is it our reality or is it just our distorted perception of reality? Let me ask you just one more time. How's your vision? How's your vision? God is present here this morning. He's working in each and every one of us, but we must choose to turn our attention away from that which would distract us onto that which would build us up. You know, for some of us, maybe we've been carrying a label. Maybe it's a little bit more comfortable to fulfill other people's expectations. It's something that we've had the, ab- the habit of doing. It requires work maybe to shake that. Or maybe we're simply falling short of that plan that we know that God has for us. Well, you know what? God wants to help us, but it's going to require a little bit on our part. Maybe it's going to mean that we're going to have to harness some of those voices that we've been given free reign. For others, maybe it requires us unplugging for a while that we can turn our attention more and more to the message that God would want to speak into our hearts. But you know what? We're not doing this as an end in itself. We're doing this as a means to an end, that God might be made more apparent in our lives, that we might be able to respond rightly to him, and that we might be able to experience that transformation that we need in order to take our place among the body of Christ as active members, as ministers one to another. Now, friends, we're extremely interested that this happens here in Life Church, St. Louis. Because we know that for 10 years, and we believe for the, dis- for, for the, the, the future, that we're connected to this body. Now, we're not here attending every Sunday morning, but, but we know that we're members as we understand the Bible speaks about the body of Christ. As it goes with you, so it goes with us on the mission field. You know, we found out that the opposite is also true. As it goes with us, so it goes with this church. Now, you might be wondering about that, but I want to just focus in on one last scripture as we come to a close this morning. This is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 17. And Paul is talking to the Philippian believers. They had sent a gift to him. He's commenting on this gift. And he said, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited your account. Now there's an idea that's at work here. It's the idea that as they supported him, what he was able to accomplish through the power of God and through their collaboration, whether that be new converts or workers trained and sent out into ministry or new churches planted, the credit for that work was being passed on to those Philippian believers as if they were there on the mission field working shoulder to shoulder with 
Paul. That's to say, as you support us, what we are able to achieve on the mission field becomes your achievement as well. Our successes become your successes, the successes of Life Church St. Louis. The National Missions Department of Mexico has a saying. Las misiones se hacen por las rodillas que oran, las manos que dan y los pies que van. Missions is done by the knees that pray, by the hands that give, and by the feet that go. Now, if we analyze that saying, it's not placing special importance on one role and comparing that role against another. What is it saying? It's saying that unless each and every person does his or her part, missions can't be done. And so our prayer for you this morning is that as you continually experience a transformation that more perfectly integrates you as members of this church, the local body of Christ represented through Life Church St. Louis, that you t- collectively would also find your place in the body of Christ universal, the body of Christ worldwide, and that you would fulfill your role in what God is doing, not just in the Yucatan, but here in St. Louis and all around the world, praying, giving, and as the Lord would call, going. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we just thank you for your message to us this morning, a message of transformation, a message that's not calling us to be set apart, a message that's not calling us to be distinct one from another, but it's calling us to grow together as a body to shake off those labels that perhaps others have given us, to meet that unfulfilled potential that you see in us, but not just to to exist under blessing, but to be a part of what you're doing all around the world. And so, Lord God, as we respond to you, as we have seen what you are doing, we ask, oh Lord God, that you would use us And that you would help us, Lord God, to do your will locally in our family groups, in our church, in our community, and all around the world. Thank you, Lord God, for this message. Thank you, Lord God, for the work that you're doing in each and every one of our hearts and our lives. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dan.